Welcome into Locked On Knicks. We hope you guys enjoyed our 500th episodes earlier this week, for sure. If you have not checked those out, be sure to check that out. We had James Marcita on, the previous host. We had Jared Dubin on, the original host of Locked On Knicks. But today, it's just me, Alex Wolf, and Gavin Shaw here with you guys as per usual, and we are getting into some more player reviews. And specifically talking about Frank Nilakina, the French phenom, and his somewhat disappointing second season, and will the Knicks give him a fair chance this season? And then we finish up with Point Mario, one of the few enjoyable aspects of what was a disheartening Knicks year. We review his season, and we talk about his future in Portland that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, counting at one. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. All right, welcome everyone to Locked on Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw. Getting into some player reviews again today. Trying to get through the mountain of players that there were for the Knicks this past season. But first, just a reminder that if any of you are fantasy football players, be sure to check out Vinny Iyer on the Locked on Fantasy Football channel. Vinny's giving you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. Don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else because then you're the same. Get get the edge from Vinny, and he'll help put you ahead on draft day and put you ahead all season long. Locked on fantasy football is your favorite, well, it will be your favorite fantasy football podcast once you listen. So anyway, Gavin, uh, getting into our players for today, I think I could say with relative certainty that of the players left on the roster, the guy that we're about to get into is the most polarizing on the whole roster, and that is, of course, Frank Nilakina. Uh, Frank, in case you're unfamiliar with him, listener, is a six foot seven, maybe point guard, maybe combo guard, maybe small forward, maybe power forward. Who the hell knows? With a uh, apparently seven foot or seven foot one wingspan, if you believe that his wingspan has grown an inch since he was drafted into the NBA. The guy has all kinds of physical tools. However, he has had a hard time putting it together on the court, particularly on offense. Uh, He played in 43 games this past year, including 16 starts. He had uh, he averaged six points, three rebounds and two assists per game on 34 percent shooting from the floor, 29 percent from three and 77 percent from the free throw line. And that uh That number actually went down a little bit, his shooting percentages. He shot 36% from uh, the field and 32% from three in his rookie year. Uh, Gavin, I don't know how you feel on the whole with Frank. My, Well, you know, I'll let you lead, and and then I'll say kind of what my general thought was on the year that was for him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to – we kind of talked about it pre-show, and I'm – you know, can you you go first? Because I I don't want to steal your point, and I'm in total agreement with what you said. Sure. Um, well, so basically what I would say is I think that Frank more or less, like if we were going to grade these guys, you know, almost everybody else on the roster, you could give um, either a numerical or a letter grade or whatever your preference is. Frank, I, I feel like you have to give an incomplete two for this year because 
he was just impossible to judge, you know, like he, he would start getting it together, it seemed like, and then he would get hurt. And that was just kind of the, the cycle this year. It was like, he would be, he would play bad for a little bit, then he'd start to put it together, then he'd hurt himself. Like it was like, uh, one point, I think it was a tweaked hamstring. Um, it, he had like all kinds of like leg issues, like hamstring, groin, whatever. Um, you know, he kept having all these little, little leg issues and stuff. And, uh, you know, just little strains, but those strains put you out for two, three weeks. And like, it's not like he was guaranteed playing time to begin with because Fisdale kind of, you know, jerked him around a little bit, even when he was healthy. So, and, you know, rightfully, rightfully so, if you're really not shooting, uh, the way that he was not shooting out there, he was, he was entirely a, a negative on offense. So I just kind of think like it's, it's really hard to judge the year that was for him because he definitely had some, some plus moments for sure. Uh, but he, you know, he had a ton of minuses as well, but it, you know, I, I couldn't, and I'm a guy that believes in him more, you know, maybe than your average Knicks fan, but I, I feel like he just got derailed by injury so often. And then it would come back, have to work off the rust. You would just start seeing a little bit of promise from him again, and then he would get hurt again. And that was just kind of the story of his season to me. Yeah. I, I think what's so hard about evaluating young guys in the NBA is that basketball is such a rhythm sport, and when you don't have a consistent role, it's nearly impossible to be successful. I mean, obviously there there are guys who I guess it's like a little bit of an oxymoron because there are guys like the only guys good enough to like overcome that are elite, and if you're elite, you're gonna be in a consistent role. So it never really comes up for those guys. I mean, guys like Frank that are more borderline. Like I think we're both of the opinion that he probably is going to have a 10-year NBA career. I really feel strongly about that, even though it seems like he's about to flush out with the team that took him the top 10 in the draft. And allegedly, um, at least under Phil Jackson, was one that really, really believed in him. And I just, I don't think he's gotten a fair shot yet. And that's not entirely the Knicks' fault. A lot of that are the injuries that he's had. And, I mean, it's hard to play a guy consistently at, a, at the point guard spot that's, or any spot on the floor that's shooting like 35% from the field and sub-30% from three, no matter how good of a defender they are. That's really, really difficult. And, and the obvious counterargument is that, well, if you give him a more consistent role, he's going to get into a rhythm and he's going to shoot well. I mean, we marked down here his two best games of the season came back-to-back against the, predictably, the Cavs and Hornets, so not exactly the NBA's ruling class, but he had 34 points, 7 assists on 13 of 24 shooting over those 44 minutes, and again, you could argue just two hot nights, but it just sort of gave you a gauge of what happens when he had a little bit of confidence. I think in that second game against the Hornets, he made all four of his threes. The game against the Cavs, he had like 12 points in one quarter. He would get on these rolls, and you saw what he could be, and that's a guy who's never going to be the most dynamic scorer in the world, but can run an offense, can occasionally win one-on-one, can get hot from behind the arc, and is eventually, for my money, going to be one of the two or three best point guard defenders in the NBA. And I think that guy clearly has a ton of value, but you just, if you're the Knicks, you didn't see enough to know that for certain. And I think that makes it integral that next year he does get a consistent role, and right now it's just looking like that's not going to happen. Yeah, I think, like, to your point, you know, and this is sort of looking forward a little bit, but if Andre Robertson can have a consistent role in the NBA, there's no reason that Frank Nilakina can't have a consistent role in the NBA because that's really like, I feel like Frank is more or less already there. Like Andre Robertson can't shoot worth a damn, but he can defend, 
you know, easily three of the five positions on the floor, you know, point guard through small forward. He could probably do some work against power forwards as well. And I think you could say the same for Frank. And I even think Frank, you know, if push comes to shove, especially with how he's looking this offseason physically, like he looks like he's put on a lot of muscle to me. I think he could even, you know, hang with fives for a minute if he had to. Um, you know, in today's NBA where fives aren't, you know, the, the behemoths that they once were, uh, most of the time, unless you're facing like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or something. But, um, yeah, in general, like, I think, I think Frank, I, I agree with you. He's going to be a player in the NBA for a long time, just if for nothing else to be a situational defender, because those guys always have at least a little bit of value. Um, you know, even if he only signs, you know, room exception type contracts, you know, like a couple million dollars a year, something like that for a number of years, he's, he's going to find homes in the NBA and, and like teams, if it's not the Knicks, which it, it makes me sad a little bit to think of, you know, that he might reach his potential somewhere other than the Knicks, but it does feel like we're sort of headed that way based off how the team talks about him and acts, you know, as far as his playing time and things go. Um, but like, you know, he's every team is always going to be trying to unlock him from an offensive perspective and be like, you know, if, if he's still struggling, that is, you know, and being like, well, if we could turn this kid into a, you know, 40 percent three point shooter, like he could be, you know, one of the best three and D guys in the league, if not the best. I mean, you could really argue that if you could turn Frank into a 40 percent three point shooter, he would be like an elite NBA role player. Uh, just because he already has the ball handling ability, he clearly has like basketball IQ on the offensive end, even if he can't quite put it all together uh, from a scoring perspective. And he's got like, you know, obviously unlimited defensive ability with that wingspan and his instincts and his lateral quickness and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess that's just kind of my general thoughts on him. You know, it, it's just like I said, it's so hard. You know, we're, we're literally we're we were trying in this segment to, you know, talk about the season that was for him, but you can't even really talk about the season that was for him without trying to, you know, automatically start projecting into the future for him because that really just, you know, just like after last year, it feels like the future is still where you have to look for Frank and not necessarily put too much weight into what you saw in the present. Yeah. And I mean, there are, there are things worth noting, like the fact that both his, and, and again, you can blame a little bit of this on roll, but the fact that both his shooting and his defensive metrics fell off a little bit. Were frustrating, but you, you still you certainly saw the flashes defensively. Um, there's that two three minute clip online of him just absolutely locking down Trey Young when Young was um, on his massive second half roll. And there were there were these spurts and these possessions where you would just you, you would just see the obvious utility of Frank on the defensive end, especially against smaller point guards, because he's so quick laterally and, and so long. He really is. He's not quite in, and this is sacrilegious invoking this name, he's not quite in the same tier athletically, and he's not quite as viciously aggressive as like a prime Kawhi was. But in terms of size, he is sort of the Kawhi of the point guard position in that he's just overwhelming, but he's that rare specimen where he also combines that physicality with just enough lateral quickness and really a keen intelligence on the defensive end. You watch him, you, you can see the effort he puts into scouting his opponents game in and game out. And, and especially against someone as crafty as Young, he's just so anticipatory defensively. And I, I was watching um, one, one of my favorite events over the summer, the basketball tournament this weekend, and there was um, an all-Ohio State team. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, it's, it's really good. I think the championship is uh, either sometime this week, uh, maybe tomorrow even. 
uh, and uh, and the Ohio State team had Aaron Kraft on it, and and you're just watching him. You're watching this guy who just just isn't built to play in the NBA, like six foot nothing, like not super athletic, but just just a gnat defensively. And I, I was watching him, thinking like, God, Frank does all this same stuff at like six seven. 230. If the offense can ever come, he's really, really going to be a threat. But how about this? We'll, we'll take a quick break. and We touched on it a little bit, but let's get more into Frank's future, what we think is going to happen next year with him on the Knicks, whether we think he's going to get dealt or not. All that and more next on Locked on Knicks. Welcome back into Locked on Knicks, and we hope you're not just enjoying Locked on Knicks, but the entirety of offerings from the Locked on Podcast Network, including, of course, Locked on NFL. Alex, I've been listening to Locked on NFL all week. Getting hyped for football season. It really, like, I, I, I was, I always forget how much I love football. And then you just, the, the little tidbits start trickling out of training camp. And I'm a Giants fan. So I'm trying to sort of Jedi mind trick myself into saying, Oh, there's not, there's not actually going to be a football season. Like I'm not going to have to watch Eli Manning and Daniel Jones for 16 games. But fortunately for me, there are 31 other teams and I am so excited to get into it. Locked on NFL covers all of them. So we highly encourage you to check that out. And if you're a fan of a specific team, particularly, I would I would hope, I would guess, the Giants or the Jets, we have Locked on Giants, we have Locked on Jets, they're excellent podcasts, and they will be a lot of fun if you want to hear about how good Sam Darnold's going to be, and if you want to hear about how depressing the Giants are going to be, you should check those out as well. Speaking of depressing, Frank Nilakina, a disappointing sophomore season, and now, Alex, the notion out there that he could potentially get dealt before he even really has a chance to show what he has on the Knicks. And to me, that's the most disheartening part of all this. We were talking last segment about how we're both genuine believers that Frank is probably going to find a way to stick around in the NBA. And he just, I, I don't know about you, but to me, he just seems like the classic guy who's going to be a good role player on a championship team. And I'm going to look back on him and be like, you know, the Knicks had him under, um, under control for a couple of years, wasn't costing a lot of money. They traded him literally for nothing, and now he's playing 20 minutes a game for whatever, the Clippers, a, a year down the line, and he's kicking ass in the playoffs, and he's locking down Russell Westbrook, and he's the reason they beat the Rockets. And, and maybe that's that's a little little bit of a Frank-colored glasses uh, view of things, but I that's, that's just sort of how I see this going down. And I feel like it's another classic Knicks fuck-up, excuse my language, excuse my French for Frank, but... It just seems like it's heading that direction. Yeah, um, unfortunately, like, well, okay, I will say this much. I, I think, sure. I think I could see a world where the Knicks trade Frank, but I don't think they're going to because I think if they were going to, they would have done it already because Frank's value has to be. I mean, like, look, obviously, you and I don't know you know, what his actual value is around the league as far as, like, if the Knicks would call 10 teams and be like, what would you go for Frank Nilakina? I, I I can only assume it's probably, like, a second-round pick at this point, you know, just based off the production that he's put out there, regardless of the awesome defensive prowess that he shows. Um, and based off reporting, you know, from guys like Mark Berman and Ian Bagley and stuff like that, um, friends of the show. <laughs> I love to name drop that now. I like that they've come on here. Um, but anyway, you know, like I, I feel like if the Knicks were going to deal him and they were comfortable with that return, they would have done it already. And I feel like if Frank starts playing well enough that his value goes up, then they wouldn't be inclined to get rid of him anyway. They'd probably just be like, well, now he's playing like how we've always wanted him to play. Like he can score the ball a little bit and, you know, he's still a great defender and all this good stuff. 
And so, like, I guess my general thought is that for better or worse, whether they want to or not, the Knicks are going to give Frank another shot this year. Um, if for nothing else, to get him just to the point that they think that they can trade him. But they're not going to trade him, I don't think, if they only can net, like, a second-round pick back. Because, like I said, I feel like if that was on the table, it would have been done already. You know, be it at this past draft or, um, you know, before the draft or even, like, after free agency started, you know, whatever. Like, they would have done it just to kind of move on and be like, okay, this is what we can get. Let's do it. Done. Um, But I I do think – I think, like – I don't know. I, I feel like maybe we read into certain things a little too much. I think, uh, you know, at the risk of rambling too long here, I think that Fizdale is sort of confused by Frank because he wants these, like, alpha dog mentality guys. He wants, like, the Alonzo Triers of the world, the Dennis Smiths of the world, you know, that are like, I want my shots and, you know, I'll help the team or whatever, however I can. But, like, you know, if it comes down to it, I need to get a bucket, I'll get a bucket. Whereas Frank, like will avoid shooting the ball, you know, at all costs. And you really need to, like, work it out of him because his his ideal role for himself, I think, is setting up the offense and, you know, finding people in their spots and generally just helping the team. So, I don't know. I, I think it just confuses Fisdale, and he's not quite sure whether to keep trying Frank at the point guard or turn him into a shooting guard, turn him into a small forward. You know, he tried him at small forward to start last year, and that actually seemed to work fairly well. And then Frank had a couple bad games, and Fisdale, like, axed that whole thing. So it's going to be intriguing to see how they approach it this year in camp and beyond. Um, but I guess we'll see. I don't know. That's I feel like I literally just did the, my whole segments worth of thoughts on Frank's future. Uh, so I apologize for rambling there. No, you're all good. I think that that's our signature on this show. Um, I... Here's my whole thing, and you you can let me know. Maybe this is totally unfair, and maybe objectively Dennis Smith Jr. is a better player, but I've been saying this all offseason. What really worries me about the Knicks' front office, and maybe it's it's Fisdale's preference as well. I mean, you you can certainly make an argument to to your point on what you just said, that he prefers these types of players, but that they're so fixated on those score-first guys, and they're almost entirely building a team outside of Mitch and Frank of those score first guys like Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, Alonzo Trier, Dennis Smith Jr., all these guys who entire whose entire game whose best quality is scoring. And to me, the guy you need to fill in the blanks there is a Frank Nilakina, is a Mitchell Robinson. You want one of those dudes on the floor with RJ Barrett, Trier, Portis, Randle, whoever they're going to be playing with. That those, I mean, we've seen it throughout NBA history. Those tend to be the best teams, the guys that combine. I mean, I'm talking about players on a much higher level now. But you, you look at the Spurs; they had their scores, they had their Tony Parkers, their Manu Ginobili's, Tim Duncan, and obviously what made those guys special were that they were multifaceted and they weren't just scores. But then the pieces they had around them kind of filled out all the missing edges. Boris Diaw, brilliant passer. Patty Mills, spot up shooter, really good passer. The current Warriors, they have Stephen Clay, but they also have Draymond, who I, I think if I'm going to look at Frank's upside, I, I think with Draymond, obviously at a different position, but I think what Draymond does for Golden State is what you could hope that Frank would offer in a couple of years. Definitely not at the same level, but in, in some iteration. And you just need to have that balance between score-first guys and guys who provide other aspects of the game. And in Frank's sense, it's running an offense, 
presumably. We've seen some passing ability from him and defense. And it, it just feels like they only want one type of player. And I think that's so clearly represented in the fact that it, it seemed as if they were willing to give up Frank for a second-round pick. And obviously we don't know for sure, but if I remember correctly, that was the reporting from both Ian Begley and Mark Berman at the time that the Knicks just wanted to get off him. And at the same time, they seemingly just set with Dennis Smith Jr., who we're going to get into um, next show that will air on Monday a little bit. But I, I thought he wasn't significantly better than Frank Nilekina. Obviously, the counting stats were better. But you look at the shooting numbers, they were similarly bad, 41% from the field, 29% from the three, an ugly 57% from the foul line. And he just doesn't provide nearly the same value in the other facets of the game. So to me, at least, that makes me really question the overall vision of this Knicks front office. And I think it's just a total lack of roster balance and a lack of appreciation for players who do things other than score the basketball. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I, I do think, you know, at times, although, you know what, it's funny. There was almost like a double standard, right? Like, because you had Fisdale, like, sometimes falling over himself to put Lance Thomas out there, like, for ceremonial purposes or whatever. Like, I don't know why he felt the need. We talked about it, you know, in the last you know, one of our shows that we did the, the, you know, lesser player reviews of like, you know, Lance Thomas got like, like honorary starts, I guess, like, and would play like 10, 15 minutes and start games and stuff. And he can't shoot where the lick, man. Like he's, he shot every bit, almost every bit as bad as Frank did last year, you know, but was way more diminished on defense and, you know, didn't provide nearly the playmaking stuff that Frank does. And it just seems kind of weird that, Fizdale is willing to put a guy like Lance Thomas out there, but isn't willing to put Frank out there if Frank isn't, you know, like Mr. Alpha Dog. And I don't know if that's just because they think that he's got that in him and they, like, want to pull it out of him at all costs. Or, you know, if if they just, for whatever reason, don't value a young player that's defense first and want all their young players to be, like, potential offensive studs and, you know, only want to assign defensive guys as, like, you know, veteran role players or whatever, but it's frustrating. It was a frustrating situation last year. I, but you know, as, as we said in the previous segment too, I, I can, I, I blame Fisdale for some of it, but I can't even blame him for all of it because to his credit, he was actually giving Frank decent amounts of minutes and stuff right before Frank got hurt every time. Um, and then Frank spent, you know, really the better half of the last half of the year, like hurt because, you know, we said already he only played 43 games. So, um, yeah, it's just it was just a frustrating year in general for him, and and you know I don't think any one party is to blame. I do think that Fizdale has some share of the blame, but also Frank's health has some of the blame for how things went down. I just really hope he can stay healthy this year, and and I hope that Fizdale at least like walks the walk as far and backs up his talk about you know getting Frank minutes and whatever, and I hope that he expends like the same energy quote-unquote, getting Frank right this year that he did getting Moutier right last year, that sort of thing. I, that's just my biggest hope for Frank going into next year. Yeah, it's going to be – I'm really rooting for him to have a great uh, Fever World Cup with the French national team because that'll ultimately be what puts pressure on the Knicks to play him because if he's uh, – and not that this should necessarily be indicative of anything because, I mean, inter- international basketball is, is a whole other animal – but if he goes out and, and he's, he's going to be the backup point guard to Thomas Hurdle, but he's also one of the better players on a French team that has been loaded in recent years and, and this summer isn't actually looking all that good and they're, they're missing some pieces. He, he, he should be an integral part 
of that team. So if he comes out, kicks ass defensively, especially if they, I'm not quite sure where the bracket is at, but if they end up matching up with Team USA or Spain or Australia or one of the premier teams in the world and he has a really, really good game, I, I just, I wonder if that'll affect the Knicks thinking at all and it'll make it even more interesting if he's not in the rotation to start the season, because I, Alex, let me know if you disagree with this. I, I mean, I've, I've lined it up. I've talked about it on podcasts a couple of times. I, I don't think he's going to be in the rotation at the start of the year. It just doesn't seem like there are minutes there to play three point guards. Or, I mean, even if you want to play him at a different spot, there's so there's so much depth at this point. And even if it's mediocre depth, that could be enough to keep Frank, based on what he's shown, out of the rotation for now. So do, do you think he's he's even playing before there's an injury, or is he just out of it? I think they're going to give him – so they're going to give him ample opportunity to shine during the preseason. And I think it's going to be kind of like last year. Like, it's it's easy to forget because it's so long ago. But, like, during the preseason last year, Frank, like, really killed it. And he straight up, like, snatched the starting small forward job because – you know, Fisdale felt strongly about um, about starting Lance at the four, Tim at the two, obviously, and then he'd settled on Burke starting at point guard. Um, but, you know, Frank won the starting small forward job, like over, you know, Kevin Knox and uh, a couple other players, and it was actually fairly impressive because um, he shot a really good percentage during preseason, and, you know, he was looking, like, really good physically, and, like, you know, he, he just he looked like he was maybe ready to take a leap. And then obviously things went differently once the season itself started. Uh, but I think they're going to do the same thing. They're going to give Frank every chance to like, they're going to open camp again with this like mentality of like, we have so many new players, you know, we have some of our incumbent players, like everything is wide open right now. You know, every position is open. So if Frank really busts his butt. He might not win a starting job, but I think that he at least will have a chance to win minutes. The question would be to me then, and I, I feel pretty confident, you know, that he'll, do well enough in the preseason to at least get some minutes. Uh, the question then is going to be, is Fisdale going to take this like hard line, like quick leash with him as far as like, you know, if, if Frank underperforms just a little bit in like game three, you know, and shoots like over three in like 10 minutes or something like is Fisdale just going to yank him and just leave him out for the rest of the game and then not, you know, play him for a week or two again. Um, but that remains to be seen. I do think he'll, he'll win at least a little bit of playing time heading into the season though. And, and But I guess that brings up those same questions. If he's playing 10 minutes a game and he's not shooting well, do you say, okay, I mean, clearly he just he never figured out how to shoot. He's never going to figure out how to shoot. This guy, I mean, for all of his defensive talent, just isn't going to be an NBA caliber rotation player because he's at arguably the most important position on the floor and he can't shoot a basketball. Or do you say, okay, but he's still, he's still not getting a chance. And it really is, it's that catch-22 that so many young players get caught up. And I think more often than not, the reality is like, look, like if you're not good enough, you're just not good enough. Like it's going to shine through regardless of how many minutes you're on the floor. But with this Knicks team and like the politics that are seemingly always at play and the fact that they seem a lot more attached to DSJ than they do Frank, even though Frank was the one they actually picked over DSJ at the time with Steve Mills still in the front office, even though that was pretty clearly a Phil Jackson decision. Um, I, I don't know. There's just there's just a lot going on. I guess just just to wrap this up, Alex, if you had to make a prediction, do you think Frank Nilakina is on the Knicks roster at the end of the 2019-2020 season? Yeah, I think so. Because one of two things is going to happen: either his his trade value is going to stay where it's at, and they're not going to want to move him, you know, because they're still they're just they'd rather see the rookie contract through 
and see if he could put it together, or he'll put it together enough that he would become valuable in a trade. But if that becomes the case, then you just keep him. All right, I hope you're right about that. We'll take a break. We will come back, and we will discuss everyone's favorite video game character, Mario Hazonia, and uh, what the future holds for him and how this past season went. That next on Locked On Knicks. All right, welcome into the third and final segment of this episode of Locked On Knicks. We are now going to break down Mario Hazonia, Super Mario, who, as purely as a personality, I'm going to sorely miss going into next season because I found him to be a ton of fun both on and off the court for the Knicks this past year. Uh, and, you know, I actually think really, especially considering how young he was, Mario was kind of the quintessential good vet this year because if you want to talk about guys who had their roles jerked around consistently and on top of it, he was a guy that was playing for another contract. Like he specifically came to the Knicks on a one-year deal with the intention of playing for another contract. Um, Considering all those factors, I thought he was a great teammate and just a great dude and all that stuff. But as far as actual basketball is concerned, he averaged uh, nine points and four rebounds. He shot 41% from the floor, 28% from three, and 76% from the free throw line. It is totally worth noting that one of the most fun stretches of the Knicks season came when, due to crippling amounts of injuries to all of their point guards that were on the roster, uh, they had Dennis Smith Jr. out with back issues. Moutier was out with something. And Frank Nelikina out with his, like, groin strain or whatever it was to end the year. Um, and even Alonzo Trier out with an injury who, you know, Trier had been kind of their uh, de facto fourth-string point guard for stretches of the year. They decided to throw Mario Hazonia in a point guard, and he averaged 25 points, uh, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds. Was that, is that right, Gavin? Is it 10 assists, 7 rebounds? Yeah, uh, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. 10 rebounds, 7 assists, my mistake, on 54% shooting in those games. And it was uh, phenomenal. <laughs> it's just to watch as a fan. I don't know, Gavin. Let, do you want to – I feel like most – well, okay, there was one other moment. I'll just shout out one other moment from Mario's season, but then I'll let you kind of wax about Point Mario for a minute. Sure. I, think, I think I know what's coming, but go ahead. The, yeah, the, the other great moment from Mario's season was uh, the game against the Lakers – which there's like no good reason for this game to be exciting at all, but it was. <laughs> and the Knicks played, played the Lakers at home and unexpectedly were in the game late against them. And of course, like every time that the Knicks were almost in a game this year, you were like, no, no, no. Like I know they need the loss, but then you would start getting close and it would be like, damn it. We were so few wins. Yeah. <laughs> I just want this win. Like I'll take it. It's beating LeBron at home. It'll be dope. And so uh, Mario came through in that game with a game-saving block uh, with one-on-one coverage against LeBron James. Um, like, LeBron tried to post up Mario, and Mario, like, perfectly timed it, blocked the crap out of LeBron, and time expired on the game. And there was also an iconic picture that didn't happen at the same moment, but everybody liked to pretend it did. But there was this picture where I don't know if Mario was even actually laughing at LeBron, but LeBron's, like... Tebowing basically, like sitting, like kind of crouching with his, like his head in his hand. And Mario's in the background, like in soft focus, just like cracking up and pointing at him. <laughs> and it was one of the most, it was probably the best photo of the whole Knicks season. Maybe one of the best Knicks photos I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are, but Gavin, why don't you, why don't you wax a little bit about the point Mario run? 
Yeah, I, th- I think you can make a pretty compelling argument for Point Mario as one of the ten greatest Knicks of all time. You, you recited the stats, 25, 10, and 7, ridiculous, 54% from the field. Um, it came against uh, two shitty teams in Orlando and Washington and in a game where Houston was up by, like, 40. But it, it was just – it was a joy to watch. He looked like an extremely poor man's LeBron James for those – three games where he was just, he was too big for point guards. He, he, was, he was just bullying everyone who tried to get in his way. He was shooting over people and he was a really smart passer. And, and this was, this was kind of true all season. And he only averaged about one and a half assists per game, but I, I was consistently pleasantly surprised with some of the look aheads he had and how he would leverage his size into good dishes. And when he was on the ball, you, you really got to see him do it quite a bit. And I'm, I'm genuinely curious if I think it's going to take an injury just because Portland is pretty loaded in, in the backcourt and the wings with Lillard, McCollum. Um, they traded for Kent Bazemore, Anthony Simons um, is allegedly a phenomena. But if they if one of those guys gets hurt, I, I'm dying to see um, Point Mario in some high-leverage Western Conference games because I, the, one, the one quality he's always had is disappointing as he's been after um, sort of a failed career in Orlando as a top-five pick. Um, is confidence, and that has never waned. And at the point guard spot, you get to see it every single possession, that overwhelming swagger. And when he's literally five inches taller than the guy he's going against and he's being empowered by getting the basketball possession in and possession out, he becomes such a weapon and such a fun player. I don't think what he was doing was in any way sustainable, but I, I just want to see him given that same power and that same responsibility again. And and I'm hoping for one game next year in Portland where he kicks some ass as Point Mario. It was really it was an ideal way to end the season when um maybe me more than you, but I think both of us were were just about done with Knicks basketball and I, I didn't want to watch another game and he, he genuinely made that final stretch pretty fun. Yeah, I agree. He was he was definitely like our little ray of sunshine for some of those last few games of the year. Uh of course it couldn't last all the way through the end of the year. Like he, he started another game and totally fell on his face. Uh, I think it was the fourth game. I forget who it was against, but it was, it was a clearly superior team that even point Mario couldn't uh, make it happen against. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was such a fun stretch. It was cool. Uh, I'm really happy for him that he got a, a new deal with Portland as well. Um, and I think he could potentially have a good role there. You know, they, they like, they have Lillard. And they have McCollum, and I think that Mario, in theory, you know, could play with either of those guys. You know, if they want to keep extending this point Mario experiment, you know, they could try throwing him out there with McCollum, let them sort of, like, because McCollum can handle the ball a little bit too, you know, and and initiate. So, you know, let those two kind of trade off ball handling duties when Lillard's sitting, and, you know, maybe Mario's got himself, you know, a a place where he can finally reach his potential in the NBA. Uh, I will say, though, like if I was going to give him one constructive criticism going into uh, next season, it would just be like Mario has a rep as a shooter and he definitely views himself as a shooter, but he has yet to put up good three point shooting numbers once in his career. Uh, so I really think, especially this past season, because like we said, he, you know, he shot 28% from three this past year. So my advice to Mario would be like, figure your three point shot out or keep sticking with the, you know, mentality of attacking the rim like you did as Point Mario uh, and and utilizing that part of your game because he, he showed kind of a propensity for getting to the rim and drawing fouls and, you know, kind of 
treat the three point shot more like a, you know, an occasional thing that you bust out rather than something that you're looking for almost every time down the floor. Cause like you're not a 40% three point shooter. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, overall, would you consider the Mario Hazonia signing a success? I, I think, I, I think you have to like almost more for, as you put it, the off the court stuff than the on the court stuff. And even just those four moments, like he, he, he was, he was perfect for a Knicks team that was, that was trying to lose some games. And that, that's not – I know that sounds like like a real backhanded compliment, but it, it was I, – I mean it from the bottom of my heart. He, he, was, he, he was a joy. And even though I was I, – I kind of made fun of him and I, I got frustrated with some of the shots he took at points, like just for what that Knicks team was, I, I think he was he was a good fit. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's tough to call it, like, for sure a success or – I definitely wouldn't yeah, call it a failure. It's a little tongue in cheek, but yeah, I wouldn't call it a failure for sure. Let's put it that way. Like I would, I would definitely call it like at worst a neutral move. But it seemed like he was legitimately a really good teammate, and I, you know, not retaining him doesn't break my heart because I feel like the Knicks went out and got guys that probably will fit what they need a little better going forward. Anyway, so and, and you know, as I just mentioned, his shooting worries me a little bit because he has yet to really put up a a good, efficient three-point shooting season yet in his career. So uh, I really appreciated the fun moments that he gave us, and I really appreciated how good of a vet he was. So I guess I'd call it like a, a marginal success, his signing this year. All right. With that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Reminder, if you missed it, check out episodes 500, part one, part two. I was not misstating that. They're both episode 500, and there are two of them. Also, check out the Ringer NFL Show and Locked On Fantasy Football. Both are great, and we'll get you ready for the football season. Coming up on Monday, Dennis Smith Jr., Tim Hardaway Jr. It's the junior hour on Locked On Knicks. Uh, we review Dennis' this season, tell you what to look forward to next season, whether we genuinely believe in this talk of an improved jump shot and an improved Dennis Smith Jr. And then we wrap it up with Tim Hardaway and uh, a little bit of a, a shout-out to him for being a great scorer and not much else. That next time on Lockdown. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible T-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.